2024 um, is going to be a year of for us, not just us. We really think this is what the Holy Spirit is breathing on all over the world. Um, and this is a key passage. In fact, uh, house church, your house churches, we're, we're going to be studying First and Second Thessalonians. Um, uh, when you get back together in February, that will kick off. And so just a little bit <clears throat> about this, this letter, First uh, Thessalonians. It's one of Paul's first letters. It's, you kind of think it would be further, you know, further towards Acts perhaps, but it's actually one of Paul's uh, first letters, if not the first. All right, written while he was in Corinth. Now, if you want to see the, the corresponding context and get a bit more detail about the letter, you can go to Acts chapter 17 because this is where uh, his visit to the church in uh, Thessalonica, that, that's where it features. So Acts chapter 17. And you'll see this is Paul's second missionary trip. And uh, he's just come from Philippi and he's he's been brutally... <laughs> Uh, he's been brutally treated there. He and Silas end up in prison. Do you remember the story? And they're singing. They've been flogged and they've, put in, they've been put in stocks and chains. And they're singing. They're singing songs of worship. <laughs> and, an, and an angel comes and releases them, basically opens up. It's a fantastic, uh, wonderful uh, story. But Paul lived it. He lived this. He went from Philippi. Um, to uh, Thessalonica, actually. That's where, that's where he comes to. And he spends like three weekends, three Sabbaths, so probably four weeks in total with, uh, in, in this particular city. Uh, so he's, he's in Greece, by the way, if you haven't picked that up um, by those names. He's in Greece. Uh, and he, he comes to this city, and of course he goes to the Jewish synagogue, because that's what he does. He always goes there to preach first. And his, his message, I can imagine him actually just being in the synagogue all, the, all day. And he's teaching, 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 teaching. And there's a few Jews, it says in Acts 17, that, that uh, came to Christ, and, 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 and a large number of, of Gentiles. But then there was also a group of Jews in Thessalonica who became very upset with him. And they stirred up a riot. And they went to the, you know, the Romans and they're like, do you know what he's teaching? He's teaching that Caesar, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Anyway, so there's a big mob situation. He flees, um, an angry mob. So they, 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 they go on from Thessalonica. They go to, uh, Berea, which is just a little bit north of Thessalonica. And the Bereans receive the word of God actually really joyfully and they search it out. So a slightly different reception um, in, in Berea. But then the, 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 that angry mob in Thessalonica hear about it and they go chasing him in Berea. So then he goes down, he goes south and he ends up in Athens. And more stuff happens in Athens. You can read it. And then he goes from Athens to Corinth. And that's when you'll see that, you'll see those red letters in your Bible where Jesus, it's actually, he, he appears to him in a vision. And Paul, I would say, is discouraged. He's disheartened. He's been through a really, really, really tough time. 
And Jesus appears to him and says, Paul, I'm with you. Don't give up. Don't stop speaking. Don't give up. I've got people in this city. They'll look after you. That's essentially kind of paraphrase of what he says to him. And Paul stays in Corinth for 18 months. And it's while he's in Corinth that he writes this letter to this little fledgling church that he spent maximum of four weeks with that he's only just heard news from Timothy because he sent Timothy. He tried to get back there, but every time Satan blocked him, that's what it says. And so he sent Timothy to find out, are they still going? Are they still loving the Lord? And Timothy brings back this encouraging report and Paul writes this letter. Okay, got the context? It's good to know, isn't it? Look, it's not hard to see that things are changing quickly in the world that we live, right? Jesus' words um, in, in Matthew chapter 24, predicting the events that will happen before his return are very clearly coming into focus and aligning with global events that we're watching happen right now with increasing frequency. I think that's the issue you need to be aware of. It's the increasing frequency of those events. It's not that some of those events have not happened before, but it's like there's a swirl happening And there's an increasing frequency and actually they're also overlapping and occurring all together at the same time in different places in the earth and we see it bubbling up. The Bible has a lot to say about how we should live when we see these things happening. In fact, Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica and what is his opening words? About times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well. Now that says to me, in the four weeks that Paul was with them, he taught them well on this subject. Amongst other things, he taught them very well about the day of the Lord and how to prepare and how to live in readiness for that day. Isn't that interesting? You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them. And he likens it to the labor pains of a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So First Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonians 5 is one of many, actually many, as a number of passionate warnings that Paul gives the body of Messiah in, in Asia Minor, in the Asia Minor, Europe, you know, Turkey, Greece, in that area. I'm just going to ask you, when Blair was reading that passage, was there something that stood out to you? Was there was some words, or maybe you were following along in your Bible, was there something that stood out in that passage? If you want to, if you want to share it, you can. Otherwise, you can just think. Hmm, what was? Just have a look at it again. Yeah. What? What was standing? What stood out to me? Don't sleep. And don't be surprised. Yeah. It's good. I was hoping you might pick that out because <laughs> I think that's a standout section for us right now. 
to take heed. Paul might be surprised that in the church today, in, in some churches, there is not a lot of teaching about the return of the Lord. I think he'd be very surprised because it was a theme that was dear to his heart. And he, he spoke it everywhere he went. It was his this apostolic expectation and he wanted people to know Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, I want you ready. Not taken by surprise. Yes. Not asleep. Let's read this. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. I love the, the soldier imagery there. Let's have a look at First Peter 4, 7, because he says something similar. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. There's something about being sober-minded that enables you to pray. But the, uh, sorry, and then in the, in the New King James, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Or the Amplified, the end and culmination of all things is near. Therefore, be sound-minded and self-controlled for the purpose of prayer. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Sober, sober-minded, sober-minded. It doesn't mean grumpy-minded. It doesn't mean the absence of joy. It just means, what does it mean? What do you think when you think of sober Considered, clear, clear-minded, fully present, focused, vigilant. It's the opposite of intoxicated, isn't it? It would be the opposite of intoxicated. So think of someone who's intoxicated and somebody who's sober and then all those things match up, don't they? Be sober-minded. Be alert. Be awake. He uses the asleep and the awake. Jesus in uh, uh, Matthew 26, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was grieved that his disciples could not even pray with him for an hour and warned them to watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, you can read that and go, Jesus, wow, he's having a sensitive moment. But we get that because he's about to be crucified, you know, and he's, he's feeling a bit rejected and his disciples have left him for an hour to pray. I don't think that's it. That doesn't sound like Jesus who draws his strength from his relationship with his father. I think perhaps what was going through Jesus' mind there is he knows what's about to happen. And he knows they're awake or asleep. Sober or, you know, asleep. I think he knows they're unprepared. And he knows that they're going to deny, that Peter's going to deny him, right? And he knows they're going to scatter. 
He knows they're not prepared. And he knows that if they could have kept watch with him for an hour and seen him draw his strength from his father, that their spirit would have been strengthened and they would have been in a better position to stand in the trial and the temptation that was just around the corner. I think that's what he's on about. And then in Luke 21, he says, and this is the context of him talking about the end of the age, says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and the anxieties of life. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. When? Either when I see him or he comes, right? These are words for us now. So you can say, well, this is a word for us all the time. Absolutely, it is a word for us all the time. But I want to say the Lord is emphasizing this because things are accelerating very quickly in the earth. And the prophets... And I'm thinking of Isaiah here. He talks about, and when it happens in its day, it will happen quickly. It's like a snowball. It's like something going down a hill gathering speed. That's what I'm talking about. Left of bang. This is actually the title of my talk today. Left of bang. Who's heard of, heard of this? It's a book. It's a book title. Anyone read it? Perhaps we should all read it. Left of bang. It's co-authored by two former active duty Marine officers, Patrick Van Horn and Jason Riley. It's the civilian version of the Marine Corps Combat Hunter Program, a program which teaches US Marines to use and interpret their senses or gut feelings as potential warning signals transforming potential prey into predators. And these guys are actually, they're going into all different, all kinds of contexts. They're training police. They're training these principles. Left of bang. Or you're either going to be left of bang or you're going to be right of bang. That makes sense, doesn't it? Hopefully you're not going to be in the bang. Bang is when shots are fired or a bomb goes off or damage is done. Okay, so right of bang is after the event. In the worst case scenario, you could be a casualty. Left of bang is where you're alert, you're prepared and able to respond before the bad stuff happens. Or at the very least, you are prepared, ready to go, ready to move into action. Do you know, I was... I was reading, uh, I got the sample of this book and I've read some other stuff about this book and found it fascinating. Um, because I like to, I like to understand people and how they think and move and act. So it was very interesting for me. But I thought, I said to Wayne this week, you know what? I said, the Bible is a left of bang manuscript. Isn't it? It's a left of bang manuscript. <laughs> Like some people think God is just a killjoy, right? You know, like, oh, God, all this stuff, you've got to bang him, blah, 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 blah. Well, it depends if you want to be left of bang or right of bang. That's a different perspective, isn't it? 
The Bible teaches us God's commands are good, the psalmist says. <laughs> really good. They guide me, a light to my path, on and on and on. How to live, what path to take, which decisions lead to life, which decisions lead to death, how to receive eternal life, to enjoy the blessings of loving and obeying God and the consequences if we don't, how to fight and become an overcomer in his power, in his grace, how to pray, how to know Jesus, right? That's left of bang, isn't it? It doesn't mean bang doesn't happen. It doesn't mean if you're a Christian and you do all these things that there are no bangs in your life. No, it doesn't mean that. It means you're not taken by surprise. And it means you've got a root system that is strong. And when the storm comes, it can't be just uprooted like you see those massive trees and their roots sticking up in the air when a wind goes through. Left a bang is where we want to be. This is what Paul's saying. Alert, ready, prepared, able to respond to protect yourself and your loved ones. For a marine, a basic mental preparedness to take lethal action may be the difference between life and death. A retired Marine Lieutenant, uh, Colonel Jeff Cooper, developed a system of awareness which he called his color code that described the psychological conditions a person could have during any given situation. So, Cooper's color code has four levels of awareness, white, yellow, orange, and red. There they are. Condition white, essentially, I'll give you the one-word summary, unprepared. This is that person you see at the shopping center walking around, looking at their phone, walking out the door, crossing the road, and you're going, hey, there's a bang coming. And they're totally unprepared. Totally engrossed in what they're doing. This is the person in the white condition. They believe essentially that their personal safety is not in jeopardy and, has cho- and they've chosen not to act assess the surroundings for any potential threats. Now, this is marine language, okay? This is this language here. So that person is unprepared. So they're unaware. They're asleep. This is the person Paul's talking about, asleep, while major things are happening in the world. Condition yellow describes the person who understands that his or her life is in danger and is prepared to do something about it. This person is actively searching their surroundings to find or identify the threat. This person is awake and alert, alert. And not just awake and alert, but they are prepared, right? They're prepared to do something. Got it? They're prepared to do something. Condition orange is the mindset in which a person has recognized and is focused on a specific specific threat. This person has begun creating a plan for how to deal with that threat. So they're making a plan. This person in orange, they're making a plan to deal with a threat and condition red is basically this person takes action. So they're in that psychological place of being alert, willing to take action. They know what the action is, they'll take it. This person takes action. So that... They aren't caught 
unprepared for the bang. There is another colour. It's not up there. In the, Marine, in the Marine Corps system, there's another colour that exists, and it's called Condition Black. So Condition Black is identified when a person's heart rate reaches a point that is counterproductive, that is above 175 beats per minute. That person begins to lose awareness of their surroundings, and a person in Condition Black can no longer cognitively process information and may completely shut down. So condition black is loss of ability to function and they shut down. What do you think might cause that? Attack, a panic attack, a panic attack, yes. Fear, shut down, okay? That's condition black. The normal psychological state of anyone concerned about personal safety, they all agree, must be condition yellow. This means being aware of one's surroundings, looking for potential threats and being alert no matter what the situation. Being left of bang requires continuous awareness and alertness. I think you get the picture. You see, it's not just about, it's, it's, it's a series of responses, but condition yellow is living Alert, being awake, sober-minded, so that this day does not surprise you, doesn't come on you like a thief in the night. And the point there, I think that's important in verse 4, is that but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this should happen. The point is we are. Paul is saying, I've trained you, I've told you, I've taught you to live like this and to be sober-minded so that in every situation you can pray. You cannot pray when you're intoxicated with whatever it is that's taking up all the space in your mind, whether it's the pursuit of money, whether it's the pursuit of pleasure, whether it's fear and anxiety, there could be many, many things that dull our senses and put us outside the capacity to stay alert. And this capacity to be sober-minded and stay alert is extremely important for us because we're not asleep and we understand. From Jesus' words from the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament prophets where everything is going. So taking stock of our lives, let us be awake, alert, and sober-minded. Okay, in the light of this, what do I need to do? Okay, how do you do this? Have you or do you have the ability and I would say the answer to that is yes. Have you asked the Holy Spirit to identify the warning signs that are around you at the moment? And there's, there are several different um, areas I want to highlight this morning. The point is, do you see them? Have you made a plan? Are you taking action? Or are you like that person 
condition white, it's like, nah, this is, nah, this, it's all good. We're all good. I'm not going to get, it's okay. I can see out of my peripheral vision. Boom. Right? The biblical parallel to left of bang is to be alert to what's happening around us, both in our own lives as well as at a global level, and to guard our lives and hearts accordingly. Jesus and the apostles do not exhort us to fix anyone or fight anyone. Correct me if I'm wrong. Come and talk to me afterwards. I may have, I may have missed that, but I don't see that. You can, hear, you can almost hear the disciples asking Jesus at different times, so what do we do? And he just says... Watch and pray. The exhortation is to search within ourselves with sober judgment and to live in such a way that others see and respect our faith and in such a way that we can pray at all times and in every situation. And if you read First Thessalonians, you will see, and as you study in a house, you'll see Paul is giving them instructions for how to live, and their particular context is severe persecution. Really interesting to read it through that lens. So identifying warning signs. Look, I want to say start with your life first. So what's going on in your life? What's going on in your heart? Are you at rest? Are you anxious? Do you find criticism and judgment coming out of your mouth often? Are you discouraged? I don't know. I don't know your life. Are you loving people more than you ever have? Or have you kind of withdrawn from that? Because it just gets hard to keep loving people. Are you fighting temptations? Or have you given up on that? Are you leaning into the grace of God? Or do you beat yourself up and condemn yourself? I don't know. I'm not sure what's going on in your heart. You do. But all of these things can alert us to where we are, left or right of bang. Because you see, right of bang We're going to be just reacting to a situation. And the Lord is always speaking. He is so kind. He is so gentle. He is always wanting to show us. And he does it again and again. He doesn't go, I told you once and now it's done. Like he goes again and again and he pleads and he urges But at some point, if we don't respond, if we stay in condition white... The urgency diminishes and we live there. We cannot, you see, that's what, that's what the writer of Hebrews says, don't harden your heart. Respond. You hear it today, make a response. Because there's danger in continually being unresponsive unwilling to take action and there's all kinds of reasons that our hearts sit there what about your family is there a relational drift between husband and wife 
Are you handling or mishandling rebellion in your children? Is there connection in your family relationships that's not purely functional? Can you identify through looking at what you do as a family, what your values are? Are you alert? Do you pray together as a family? Do you read the word together as a family? I could, the list could go on, right? Is there strife in the home? How do we speak to one another? How do we speak about one another? What about New Life Church? What things do we need to be alert to in our life as a Christian community? Are we loving each other well? Are we welcoming outsiders? Are we staying strong in things like serving and giving? And giving isn't just money. It's about giving our lives to one another. But money is important, and Jesus says that. What you do with your money is important. That's telling you something. That's telling you. That's a red flag. If it's, you know what I mean, if we're holding on to it, and it's like, no, I don't think so, God, you know. It's not New Testament. Tithing isn't. And Jesus would say, no, it's not. Actually, I want everything. (laughs) In the New Testament, after I've given my everything, I want everything. Forget the tithe, because that's where the bar goes, because of what he's done for us, right? Are you acknowledging those who work hard among you? Do you encourage them? The ones who care for you in the Lord and and admonish you? (laughs) Do you hold them in the highest regard in love because of the work they do? Do you pray for them? You know, when you pray for people consistently, the people you pray for can tell. Do you know how they can tell? Any ideas? Do you know how they can tell you pray for them? You have more love for them. When you have more love for them, what do you do? You ask them, how are you going? I was praying for you this week. You're much more easily able to cover over that admonition in Christ, if you like. Cover over their faults. But when we don't pray for one another, we also usually don't encourage one another. Do you pray and encourage your leader who's immediately above you, whether that's your worship leader, that's the board, that's the children's and youth pastor, the admin staff who who serve, uh, your house church leaders, your serving team coordinators, do you pray for them? Do you encourage them? Leadership, Wayne was saying this last week, leadership is not an easy thing and people can become weary in it. Pray for your leaders. And for their sakes, live at peace with each other. It doesn't say that, but. (laughs) But that sounds good to me. (laughs) 
Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Ooh, ooh, how's that going? How's that going, people? Encourage the disheartened. How's that going? Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. You know that there are people in in situations and circumstances, and I think that's what Paul means by the weak. It's not that they're less. They're valued. It just means they're going through stuff. That means they're weaker because of what they're going through, perhaps, or their particular situation. And Paul's like, encourage them. Be patient. Don't judge people. Don't say, well, you should be better by now or whatever it is. Come on. Bear with Bear with. So how full is your love tank? Does your lack of love concern you? And what about what about in the earth? Are you aware? Are you aware and alert about things that are happening in the earth? Or you're like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. I live here in Australia. Thank God. Right? I mean, seriously, as Christians, that's been asleep. That's been intoxicated with your own peace and safety. You can't be sober-minded, therefore, so that you can pray with the great intercessor. Right? Do you know that Sky News reported this weekend about a despicably published spread list, spreadsheet, containing the names, occupations and social media profiles of almost 600 Jewish Australian artists. It's led to death threats after it was shared by high-profile pro-Palestinian activists and almost 600 Jewish Australian creators and artists who were members in a WhatsApp group chat had their personal details indexed into a spreadsheet with the link made public, including their names, phone numbers and images of the chat group members with details of their private conversations. It circulated online with the label Zio 600. The New South Wales Jewish Board of Deputies made a post online in response to the incident and wrote, this is not normal. This has led to death threats. It's seen a five-year-old child be threatened by an activist and forced at least one family to go into hiding. Photographs of family members of the 600 Jewish people in Australia have also been circulated on social media, including photographs of children. This is in our nation. Are you alert to what is happening in Australia? Did you know it took our government more than 100 days to classify the attack on Israel on October 7th as an act of terrorism? Did you know there was a protest in Fremantle yesterday in support of Palestine without any call for Hamas to return the Israeli hostages? That's in our city. You've been aware of the blockades by farmers in Europe these past few weeks? Are you aware of the massacre of Christians in Nigeria and the widespread persecution of Christians worldwide, ongoing war in Sudan, famines and plagues, famine in Yemen, where thousands of children are starving to death because all the money is going into the war? Earthquakes, volcanoes, floods, fires, 
disasters multiplying with ever-increasing frequency. Are you aware? Are you left to bang? If you are alert, if you are sober, I'm not saying we want to hear these things. I'm saying these things will happen because Jesus said they will. So we don't get to not be aware. We only simply get to monitor and control and direct our lives in accordance with the Holy Spirit's guidance. And the thing that he wants us to do more than anything is to become a people who learn how to pray continuously. That doesn't mean you have to be in the prayer room continuously. It means you learn how to live that way. And I can imagine Paul as a tent maker, you know. He was probably late at night teaching and then he would go to work the next day. And if you've ever seen rabbis, because Paul was a a Jewish rabbi, you know, they're doing this, they're working, but they're reciting the Psalms and they're praying. And he's praying to the Lord and he's praying for the church in Thessalonica even as he's witnessing and people are coming to Christ. And then he teaches them through the night and he gets a few hours sleep and he gets up again and he's tent making and he's continuously. Of course Paul can call us to continuous prayer because he was an apostle who learned to pray and his strength came directly from his relationship with God. This is what he's calling us to be. This is what Jesus is calling us to be. And I wonder this morning, are you conditioned white or conditioned yellow? If you're yellow, where are the threats? Where are the red flags waving this morning in your life? So will you progress to orange, which is make a plan for me and my family, just like Noah did with the boat, right? And he was willing to act on that till the day the flood came. And thank God he did because he saved his family. Maybe you're like, I, this whole thing just terrifies me, Julie. You might be like, yeah, I'm, 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 if I'm not conditioned black, I'm close to it. I want to read something encouraging to you from C.S. Lewis's book, The Silver Chair. How many of you have read that? Yeah, of course you have. Jill is lost and thirsty in a strange land. Do you remember this? She finds a brook, but she sees Aslan the lion, a symbol of Jesus. Where is he? Lying beside the water. If you're thirsty, you may drink. For a second she stared here and there, wondering who had just spoken. And then the voice said again, if you're thirsty, come and drink. It was deeper, wilder and stronger, a sort of heavy golden voice. It did not make her any less frightened than she had seen before, but it made her frightened in rather a different way. Are you not thirsty? said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink said the lion. Mm, May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I drink? said Jill. The lion answered with a look and a very low growl and as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, 
She realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Do you promise not to, not to do anything to me if I do come? Said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, and nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. There is no other stream. Jesus has the words of eternal life. He has the living water. And he spoke to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 2 too, and he said, Jeremiah, tell the people they've committed two sins. They've forsaken me as the spring of living water, and they've dug their own wells, wells that cannot hold water. In 2024, just the sense I have, it's not, it's not rocket science, but it's, a, it's something that the Lord is emphasizing is he's, he's going to come to us in this way. For some of us, he's been saying that thing like it's not a new thing, but there's an urgency for us to make a response. He knows. He has streams of living water for all of us. But trying to convince us of that and to turn to him and to let go of those things that are just blocking up our lives and our ability to be prepared, to be alert to be awake, to be sober-minded. That's what he has to go to work on, right? And it's because he is so good and so kind and he's like, my people, you're going to be ready for my return. You're going to be the left-of-bang people who read the left-of-bang manuscript and when it all comes down, you are going to be prepared. Not just prepared, you're going to be shining brightly. And as I take you through that refining process and that season, seasons of preparation, as you respond to me with all your heart, it's like he said to Peter. He said, look, Peter, yes, yes, the enemy is asked to sift you. I've prayed for you. It's okay. I've prayed for you. Now, when you come through that, you're going to go back and strengthen your brothers because every single one of them is going to go through that. 
That's my paraphrase of what Jesus said to to Peter. See, God is going to have for his son a strong, still, if you like, still on the inside, committed, focused, prepared people who go on the offensive, which is what the last half of that chapter is about when I read it. You know, and so because you are living sober and alert, do these things. Let the love of Christ shine strongly within you. It's like nothing else this world knows. Love one another. Be hospitable. Serve one another. Pray. Rejoice. When trouble comes, people will seek you out. And you tell them about me. And my church will be full of my glory. Yeah? May the Lord Jesus Christ help us in 2024 to make these little tweaks that he's putting his finger on so that he has that army awake, alert, prepared on the offensive, picking up the weapons of our warfare, which are not like the world's. Amen? Let's stand together. I just want to say that I've, it's been, um, as I've been preparing this, this talk um, this morning, I've also been just very aware of the Lord's love for you, his love. If he didn't love us, it would be completely unloving not to prepare us. Not to walk through us, you know, not to walk us through situations and valleys and, and trials even. wouldn't be loving in light of in light of the trouble that is coming on the earth you see he's raising up a standard in one generation the generation that will see him return that the earth has never seen as a whole isn't that incredible Jesus is confident that as he speaks and as his spirit speaks and moves and starts preparing hearts and as the people become, as his people, his bride become more committed and more delighted in his presence than anywhere else, you'll see a strong army rise. There's an army rising.